because it, it is our future and it's our future and we want to attract the right people into our organization we want people with enthusiasm to say they've got a great future here so all those things are the sort of jigsaw of sustainability from your people development for the work you do in the communities and then the the environmental net zero those are the sort of pillars of what what we work around hi i'm belded mancus welcome to the purposeful strategist podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Mark Horsley, Chief Executive Officer of Northern Gas Networks, the business that delivers gas to the north of England through a network of more than 37,000 kilometers of gas pipes. Mark describes how Northern Gas Networks moved to industry-leading performance by focusing on their customers, the communities they operate in, and their own employees and partners. He also shares how a big setback in his career changed his approach to leadership. And he highlights why he thinks it's critical that private companies don't wait for government action on net zero, and gives practical examples of what can be done to accelerate needed private sector investment. Well, Mark, thank you for joining us uh, on The Purposeful Strategist. Uh, Just to kind of get things going, maybe you could tell us a bit about yourself uh, and a bit about Northern Gas Networks. Yeah, that's great. And and thank you for um, inviting me to do this. Um, I've been in the utility industry since the age of 16. I started as a craft apprentice cable jointer, basically digging holes and fixing electric cables in the ground. I left school with two O-levels or two GCSEs. Having gone to grammar school, um, my parents very working class, my dad was a factory worker. I had a very interesting relationship with a, an uncle who was a friend of my father's during the war. And he acted a bit of a mentor. He was a managing director of a construction business in the Midlands. And I spent a lot of time and sadly he passed away when I was 21. But he was very influential in my early days. So I left grammar school not enjoying the academic world at all. I spent 10 years, really enjoyed being an apprentice. I was actually successful in being the apprentice of the year of all things. I went over to Saar Louis in, in Germany. It was a tripartite between German, French and English apprentices. And then I um, decided actually, once I got into the work, I enjoyed the practical part of it, but, but I started to enjoy the academic side of it a little bit more. So I started to um, did my higher nationals typically, then a degree. And then later, about uh, 31, I did a master's degree in business administration. And I left the tools of the column as a digging holes when I was 25, uh, became a, a technical staff trainee as to be an engineer, and then slowly moved up the ranks. We went through privatization in 1990. We were bought by uh, an American company at that time called Cal Energy transferred itself into Mid-American Energy and, in, and indeed is now Berkshire Energy. And I ended up as the CEO of that business when I was 43. Uh, so apprenticed to CEO in a re- relatively short time. But it was all very different because being bought by an American company, it wasn't dead man's shoes as it probably was a largely public service. It was about the things you did. And I'd set up a contracting business within the organization, built it from eight to 11 to 100 million, recognized for the things I was doing. Um, but all of it centered around people. You know, at the end of the day, I work in the gas industry now, 
and worked in the electricity industry. I'm a board director of a water company, but it's the people that essentially makes a difference. And then there was there was a regulatory issue in the business. I uh, lost my job um, after 30 odd years as a CEO. I then went to work for Scottish Power, uh, heading their strategic programs, uh, transmission and distribution. And then at 50, I thought I need to do something very much different. I went into your world of consultancy for a year, thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and then I was approached um, just by chance, really. Um, by the then CEO of Northern Gas Networks, because he remembered me from when he came over from Australia. Um, I invited him for lunch the first week he was there. I was running the electricity company, he was running the gas company, and asked me actually if I was interested in coming back. And to be honest, I wasn't. I was, I was enjoying the freedom. I didn't really want to join the corporate world. It wasn't particularly pleasant what happened to me when I lost my job. It wasn't through anything I'd done. Um, there was lots of politics at play. You're out looking for work and what you want to do next. And it's quite a humbling process for you. And I think it changed my view of the world. It changed my view of almost what I wanted as an individual. Long story short, I went over to Hong Kong, met um, my current owners, absolutely loved them. Um, and I'm in my 11th year now. I wouldn't ever work for another company. I absolutely love working for uh, CKI in Hong Kong. Uh, family orientated. I know what I have to deliver. Um, we are NGN, very successful in the utility sector. When I first came in, it was very different. Now we're at the efficiency frontier. We're number one for customer service. We've just been awarded by the regulators for having the most uh, advanced um, business plan into this next price reset. And there's been a huge transformation of the business around people, around the culture, uh, which has led to that success. So, yes, I'm the lead of the organisation, but I'm blessed to have a fantastic set of guys and girls working for me and, and right the way through the organisation. And I absolutely love it. I don't know when I'll finish, but um, I, I do love doing what I do. But it, it is all around people, really is. Mm -hmm. And if you had to sort of sum up the purpose of the organization and and when i say purpose obviously you've got owners you've got to meet their needs but but is there any sense of sort of a bigger higher purpose to what you're doing and if so what is it yeah it's an interesting one that actually that's evolved it, we call it the ngn way and it really does focus around our people in the organization and it focuses around probably the communities in which we operate in as well i have fairly strong views on the shift that we need to have in terms of pure capital, pure earnings versus what you're actually contributing back into it. And that's not just about money contributed back. It's about what you can offer society in areas that don't have opportunity. And I think really those values really pervade themselves through the organization. And we recruit in that fashion as well. And we're trying to become more customer centric. And you do it by some form of process to start off with. When I first came in, we used to have a, a meeting at uh, seven o'clock on a Friday morning to talk about any safety incident that happened because I wanted people to be really focused on being safe at work. And then it followed uh, very quickly an hour later with a uh, to review any customer complaints, dissatisfaction we had within the business. And that started to focus people's mindset in terms of what we had. The long-term businesses with long-term employees, people that tend to have the gas industry through running through their veins so the next stage of when we we looked at the business and said actually it's not really sustainable for the future 
in terms of the terms and conditions we apply. Our supply chain was too disconnected from our business and our values. So how do we change those things around and how we could invest in technology uh, to help uh, sort of the, the future of the business and the understanding of our business. So those things were game changing. And, and one of the things that always brings smiles on my face, we have to be in a, a gas escape um, within an hour for 97% of the time for obvious safety reasons, but you've got life and limb at risk. So I said, if we were to treat customers in the same way as we do from a safety point of view, why don't we treat them the same way in a, in a customer? And I just used a very basic example. So why can we not address any customer complaint we get in the organization within an hour? You know, if we've done something wrong, admit it, address it, don't let it fester, and you can build from the customer service. So I, I knew we couldn't do 100%. So I said, why don't we do 60% within an hour? So it became 60 in 60. And people would just leave meetings to address any complaints because that was the focus of what we're doing. And now we're up to, I don't know, we do it. I don't even measure it anymore because it's just becoming the DNA. But I could confidently say here we're at 80 or 90% of addressing complaints within an hour. And then we measure ourselves in a day. It just evolves, to be honest, Belden. It doesn't, you know, those are just kickstarts. But once you've got the culture and mindset of the organization into a different frame, it just does it. And it astounds me daily when I talk to my guys what new things are coming through. And that's then evolved into the work we've done in the community. We've done some great, great stuff that's been driven by our people. Once you, you set that cultural shift, for example, we established two volunteer days a year you can do free, setting people's minds to, to allow them to develop and grow and do the things. And the, the one thing I'm really proud of what we're doing at the moment is we signed up to the Social Mobility Pledge we do have some really um, bad areas of deprivation in our, in our area where fuel poverty is rife. We have a, a children's university in Hull where there's, there's children that attend there that have actually never been out of their estate. So we help and sponsor through our people, not just funds, but our people for them to do trips to London and other things. But the other thing that's been passionate to me is I joined the industry with, as I said, let's call it no qualifications. And now if you see, just looking, for example, if you are wanting to be an apprentice, which is pretty much the lowest point that you join any sort of business in a practical point of view, you need several law levels or GCEs. And I said, that just is stopping and preventing the opportunity of people who maybe not had the academic support or family background or family support to be able to do those things. So how can we try to help with that? So we're working with Leeds College and other colleges now to bringing people into the organization will take them through and, and assist them to to reach a standard not necessarily a, a formal qualification but a standard that allows them to, to progress through that's just one really small example of us acting in the society in which we we operate in and, and really starting to f- get the focus of that and when we went through COVID last year uh, which was an emotional roller coaster for a lot of people for mental health and everything else. And we're very lucky we didn't have to furlough people with the funding still to keep them fully employed. But remembering we also had, you know, probably two or three hundred of our operatives going into homes because of gas leaks and everything else and making sure they were supported. And people then also didn't have necessarily full time work to do. The majority did, but some didn't. And what was 
unbelievable. I was writing people cars thanking because I just couldn't think of a different way of doing it. But just going, you know, care homes, taking things into the care homes, taking packages in. And they were doing this on their own. And that, to me, has been developed by the cultural shift and cultural change we've had in the organisation. The people just wanted to do those things and still continue to do those things. And that compassion and caring is really important. About two or three years into it, we had what we called the bounce. And the reason it was called a bounce, we were at um, the Baltic in Newcastle. And we were trying to get an atmosphere that 100 people, you know, businesses will have, have sometimes have these leadership conferences. And I'm not a supporter of those at all, because that's like a, that's creating a hierarchy. So I sent an invite out to anybody up to 100 people and we dressed it up like a seaside resort. So we had an ice cream van, we had the back cloth of the beaches around the outside and we had these bouncing balls. So it was called the bounce. And I just got up and talked about my future, about my life, you know, personal life, to hopefully open people up to talk about their concerns, their, their issues, their passions, their, what they wanted to see from the business. And it was unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable, that people's freedom to talk things through. Um, we were doing some very difficult things at the time because we were transforming our workforce. We had a workforce that was average age was 49. I needed to bring that age group down. I discussed it with my board and we funded for people to be released at the age of 55 with their pension. And now we've got 77% our people are on modernised terms and conditions that fit the business need, fit the customer's need, and now our average age is around 36. So it's it's a completely different generation. Their wants and demands or wants and aspirations are very different from my generation and probably slightly younger than myself. And it's understanding that once you switch into that, once you listen to what they want and what their aspirations are, much, much quicker than ours, you know, technologically driven, probably more instant gratification than we would probably look for delayed gratification. Once you start to understand that, you understand how people tick and what really makes things happen. So when you talk about the sustainability, the social side of the business, it's amazing how many people really feel very strongly about that and particularly the environment and as moving into net zero. It's a very different conversation that I would have had in the industry in another business you know 20 years ago yeah it's, it's been a really really interesting journey so how long's that journey been did the culture change you're talking about start sort of when you rejoined the business or a little after or you know how long's that whole bit taken northern gas at that time was a totally outsourced organization so it was an asset only 100 people and then the rest of the organization was outsourced to united utilities a water company and it was decided just before I joined that we were going to reintegrate that back into the business and have a, a fully direct workforce. So what I didn't do was rush at it. I, I, I did a lot of observation um, for the first three to six months, met a lot of people, and asked for people to put people forward who they thought were high potential people and started to talk about the vision I had for the business. So the early transformation in the workforce started about two years in. And another one that was happening parallel was our supply chain. We replace an awful lot of pipe work every year, 440 kilometres, huge programme of work, which is 
very impacting on customers and we could see the level of service we were getting wasn't where I thought we should be or the team thought we should be. So we therefore said, well, when I'm talking to these um, tier one, the larger contractors, they're telling me all the right things, but that's not really replicating itself out there. So we experimented by actually taking that layer out and moving directly to the people they subcontract who are just local family businesses. So from moving from three um, large tier ones, we've got something like 30 odd family businesses now um, undertaking that work. And they're very much part of our family as well. So you would never see in our franchise area another vehicle from a contractor. They're in our vehicles, our overalls. Um, we, deal, we deal with them in a completely different way. We have very intimate relationships with the, the owners of those businesses. We scale them to a limit that it doesn't become a large organisation again. And it allows, it allows them really to have the same values as ourselves. I do a, um, a roughly a, a two-monthly call to everybody just to chat about the business and what's the opportunities, what the challenges they're facing. They're all part of that. So when we went through COVID, um, you know, we did everything we could, and we did everything we could to financially protect those businesses because we, we they were part of us to making sure that happened. So there was that going on in parallel with the people changes, and then we recognised some of the IT things we needed to do. But really, my focus was on the culture and behaviours, and and when we now recruited into the organisation, what were the values that we were really looking for? You know, so in past lives, it'll often be technical focus i wanted that to be more customer centric so looking at it from a different way and we learned a lot by you know talking to people like virgin and, and others that have done an exceptional job in in pilling that um customer focus around their businesses uh so we spent a lot of time doing that and then we started to say well why do we start feeling a bit proud of what we do i'm not really not an awards person at all i think the last time um, we did it was about four years ago, but I said, why don't we just go measure ourselves? And one of my team said, um, well, the utility awards are coming up. I said, no, 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 no. I said, let's go against, you know, the John Lewis's and, you know, the, the people who are really good at, at this stuff, Google and the rest of it. And we won. It was, it was unbelievable. So I think, you know, where we are, we are leading, literally leading the way on um, zero with hydrogen and repurposing our networks. We've, we've led the industry since 2016. We've, we've now got two hydrogen homes up in Newcastle that the energy minister visited um, about two months ago. You know, it, it's a really exciting time for the energy industry. And I think the decarbonisation of heat, which you know, we've got 23 million homes across the UK heating their homes with, with natural gas at the moment, and that has to change. Um, and I do, I suppose, get sometimes really frustrated because it becomes a them and us. Is it electricity versus is it gas? Well, actually, it's all technology. It's a whole system. We've sort of got to think differently. And, and in the same way as I do with my team, we're going to do again in October. Um, about two, three years ago, we, we said, look, we're in a regulatory review period. Of, it was eight years now. It's five years. They really don't have any bearing on us. We're talking about net zero we're talking about sustainability of our business we're talking about what we want to be as a business so we'd let ourselves out to 2050 and worked our way back and said what, what do you think our customers expectations will be then what will be different and i think three years on it's really different again you know i have these conversations with people and 
you know, we talk about net zero, we talk about the cost of transformation, we want to go through a pandemic, who's going to pay for it, how customers going to, to manage that uh, through, both from payment points of view. And I, I keep saying, I think it might be very different. You know, we are looking to solve the problem of 2050 with today's solutions. I think we've, we need to be thinking what's in 2050. And you look at transport, probably autonomous vehicles. You know, you might just pick your mobile phone up and dial for a car. You never have a car yourself. We've seen it happened in, in the media where you're bundling things together. And then you start to talk about the energy bill for affordability. And ultimately, it may be that everything's bundled together in a fixed payment per month for a house. And it's very, very different. And even who does it might be very, very different. You know, we see Amazon doing different things. We see Google doing different things. And there's an opportunity for lots of players to be in it. But we've got to be innovative in our thinking and not just, you know, how many charging points we're going to have for EVs or how we're going to, you know, do that. It's it's much, much broader. We're blending in 20% hydrogen into our network in 700 homes in Winlayton. It's a mixed housing stock, lots of social housing, lots of deprivation. And we invited 10 customers to talk to the regulators as well as us. What I found really astounding was the candidness of the customers. You know, it's all right that we can have debates at government, we can have debates at company level. What really matters is the customers you're serving and are we going to meet their needs and how are we going to help them through that journey? And I thought it was really, really powerful. So although you, you were showing them something technical in terms of what we were doing, the heart of the matter was what the customers felt and how they felt they were being treated and how what the opportunities were there. And you know, they were mainly an older generation, but really concerned about their environment for their grandchildren and children which showed a real passion about what they wanted to do and hopefully we reflect that in our business and how we we address that so going back to your question about how long it was a slow burn for probably about a year or two to really feel what it was and then we really accelerated change really really important to bring everybody along with us to make sure that that happened we've obviously now got a very uh, real risk of a stranded asset because if gas isn't in the future so those things have got to be motivated through people and that's why I've been really passionate I've spent an awful lot of my time on hydrogen and the future with the government and the regulators because it, it is our future and it's our future and we want to attract the right people into our organization we want people with enthusiasm to say they've got a great future here so all those things are the sort of jigsaw of sustainability from your people development for the work you do in the communities and then the, the environmental net zero, those are the sort of pillars of what, what we work around. Mm. And and if you had to try and sum up your strategy, I looked at, I looked on your website, you've got a very extensive and, and very sort of manageable in some ways description of what your strategy is. Um, but, but if you had to try and sum all that up, what would you say it is? It's a... Uh, that's a really difficult one because it's 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 trying to be concise about it but we are around our com communities that's really got to be number one mm -hmm. for what we do obviously there's a base of what we do in terms of our safety and the rest of it is really around our people and and making sure that our people understand what our vision is understand what we're trying to deliver but the communities we serve are incredibly important to us and making sure that that comes alive in our business and is real out there. And there is a sense that people feel that, 
in everything we do. And I think that's really important. If you deliver an efficient business, if you deliver a customer-centric business, building a customer into the community, it falls out because you were wanting to do the right things. If you want to do the right things for the customer, you want to do it right first time. Therefore, you don't want to rework and all the rest of it. So it builds itself into what you want. So yes, we, our returns have reduced significantly in this last price review, but we're still at the upper end of those returns because of the position of the business in. So I, I also almost give that as a, as a given because that's, that's the bedrock of what we do. But everything beyond that, you build on it, you know, and making sure that you, you're then creating what is a sustainable business and a great business to work in and people to enjoy working in and the interactions we have with our communities got to be positive. You talked about the risk of stranded assets. Where and when do you see all that getting resolved? That feels to me like it's a big strategic question, but also, as you were saying, a big question around sort of purpose and can you continue to attract the kind of people you want? How do you see that? Well, you have one or two customers, you've got a gas network. So it's really hard to strand parts of your asset, but it will eventually happen. Where we're at at the moment is we've proved um, since 2016 that hydrogen is, is safe to uh, put through our network. That's why we built the homes in, in Wynn Lane to show customers. We take people trips around it now, schools. It's fully booked up till the uh, end of November already. There's so much interest in it. The key issue for us is the production of hydrogen and ultimately the production of green hydrogen. We're delighted with the government's hydrogen strategy. We've done lots and lots of work independently. And there's a crossover on, on cost around about 2035, where we'll see that. The next key thing under the 10-point plan for the government is to create a hydrogen village. Um, that's something of a contention for me at the moment because I've put it out to competition. I believe when we've got infrastructure to create the window of what we've got between 21 and 50 is really small in terms of large infrastructure changes, production of hydrogen, or whatever it is for the energy networks. If it's, if it's electricity, there's going to be need massive reinforcement, change of generation type, all those things need to be done. So these hydrogen um, villages we're talking about 2025, maybe 2030 for a town, well, let's, let's compress it. Let's just not put competitions, let's just do it quickly. It's taken us from 2016 a feasibility study, which is converting the whole of Leeds City to hydrogen, till now. So we're talking five years. So you can imagine the time scale and transformation. Speed is of the urgency to me at the moment. That is the critical element. And looking forward in the same way as we talked earlier, let's have a plan to 2050. Even if it's wrong, let's let's start to think about what the pitfalls are going to be, what the hurdles are going to be, so we can address them in, in advance. And there's always a risk with government cycles of every five years that people want to kick things down in, into the long grass. Investors won't wait that length of time. If we think of just the UK alone, you know, we need to be pressing ahead. If we want you know, significant investment into hydrogen, which I know my investors are really, really interested. We've just invested in a, a fund with uh, Joe Bamford of, of JCB to look at the whole ecosystem opportunities for investment across hydrogen. So we've got real intent on what we're doing, but the, the issue for the UK is, you know, if other parts of the world go ahead and develop quicker, then that investment will, will go elsewhere. And so in answer to your question, it's speed to me at the moment. It's, you know, let's be agile. I, we have an adage in our business, we fail fast. 
we try stuff. If it doesn't work, bin it. But let's find out early and we'll bin it early. So if hydrogen is found not to work, well, let's fail at that. You can have the best political will, you can have the best policy, but if you haven't bought into the customer's journey, nothing mm. works. Yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about some of the stuff you were proud about on the journey. Was there anything in there that that was difficult that didn't kind of didn't go the way you wanted? I think when we did the um, modernization of the, the terms and conditions to go into the future, and there was always this point where we were introducing new people on new terms and conditions, and there was these legacy terms and conditions that had gone on from privatization, which in this industry was 1986, so it's quite quite profound. What I absolutely set out to do was I wasn't going to change the terms and conditions of existing employees because I I, I found that really difficult to address. So if it had been absolute, you know, have to do it, then of course you have to do those things. Where the difficulty came was, was as you're introducing those people, because people work in teams or twos or in gangs, you'd have different people on different sets of terms and conditions. And the new people coming in probably suffered a little bit of that from their existing colleagues. That was a difficult, and that took a lot of work from myself and my team to, to support that change and help people understand that. But what he was doing was, was modernizing us to the new world. We're a 365, 24-hour business, that's how it should be. And it was interesting, there was a sort of, a, a, a knee point on it where there started to be more people on the new T's and C's and it and then they felt started to feel a bit more proud about what we're doing so that was probably one of the hardest things so although at times difficult the reward at the end has been you know outweighed those, those challenges what's the impact of all this been on you how would you say you're different I won't even say at the end of this journey at this stage in the journey it's it's a really interesting question. I I think the biggest change in my life actually came when I mentioned earlier when I lost my job. Mm. That was really profound for me because I'd spent such an amount of time, if you can imagine, from coming from an apprentice to the CEO and then all of a sudden it, it, the world's collapsed around you from your career and, and I, I put an awful lot of effort and hard work into that. So that was quite profound. I think the thing that that changed me more than anything else and perhaps it was ownership perhaps it was because of my own experiences was i became much more humble in my approach to to things um i felt more i think there was more emotional uh, linkage with people what they were going through and how that change would impact their lives and i think that made made me a different person at the end of it and sharing your life experiences, sharing your experience in, in, in business as well. And I think I find that really quite rewarding, to be honest. As long as I enjoy it, I'll keep doing it. And when I feel I've given all I can and it's time for somebody else to um, take up the mantle and do something different, then I think it'd be time for me to move on. I'm not saying that's now. Otherwise, I can be I, the risk that I might become a stumbling block and I don't want that to happen. Mm -hmm. Mark, there's really been really interesting and for me very um insightful just to to kind of hear both your own personal journey but the organizations and one of the things i think i hear in that is that as you started to kind of question how do we put customers 
really at the heart of things, that sense of purpose then spawned even more purpose. People started asking, okay, if we're trying to do that, how else can we help the communities and what else can we do? And sort of that it almost feeds on itself. So it's been great to hear. Again, thank you for joining us. Welcome, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.